Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I had done these, what I, you know, these final, these scenes, which is so funny, your final scenes with which you will be judged by. And I did my scene and the audience, people were like hooting and how I was, I mean, it was crazy. I was like, I had the, you know, I was like 18. I was like, I killed. I came off stage. I'm the head of the school. I, I was like, finally, finally, she will say she, you know how great I am. And she took my hand and she said, goodbye, Ileana. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am going to give Ileana Douglas the proper introduction and this could take Sorry. a while ladies uh -oh. and gentlemen so we should all lie down and we'll do that while Ileana pulls the so, pubic hair off the no, mic guard there so, that's so I got some Norman Lear's gray hair <laughs> Norman Lear's gray hair is that's on, on there. my mic that's you okay. are you are uh, yes that's, okay. that's right Norman Lear that's uh, I know I'm very impressed I love I love oh one of the he's amazing you know I'm just as happy right now with me yes okay good I'll really. try to be a sage and give you what i mean nobody can give you what norman lear has created for don't the world. downplay you you're 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 an old soul you're gonna have yes it all. he's 93 i still i've got some time to create something i don't have as much time as <laughs> iliana douglas is an award-winning film and television actress writer director and producer she began her career as a stand-up comedian sketch performer at stand-up new york and the manhattan punchline while working for a New York film publicist, she was asked to dub screams and dialogue for Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. This led to a long collaboration with Scorsese, who cast Ileana in his films New York Stories, Goodfellows, and Cape Fear. She solidified her film acting career with performance in a string of critical and commercial successes, including Alive, which I saw on a plane. Nice. Uh, not should, good. That should be illegal. <laughs> to Die For, Picture Perfect, Message in a Bottle, love that movie, Stir of Echoes, and Ghost World. In 1999, she starred in the critically acclaimed TV show, Action, that is near and dear to her heart. Critically acclaimed, by the way, definition of that, canceled. <laughs> and appeared in numerous television shows, including Larry Sanders, Frazier, Drew Carey, Law & Order SVU. I always want to say SUV, Grey's Anatomy, Drop Dead Diva, Entourage, and Ugly Betty. She earned an Emmy nomination for her portrayal of Angela on the HBO series Six Feet Under, which was one of my favorite series. Uh, Ileana's web series Easy to Assemble has been downloaded over, get this everybody, 40 million times and has been called the most successful branded show of all time by Adweek. It features comedic actors like Jeff Goldblum, Jane Lynch, Sherry O'Terry, Fred Willard, and Tom Arnold. It's won six, counted six Webby Awards for the Best Performance, Best Writing, and Best Branded Series. Ileana has also developed, produced, and directed for film and television her first directorial effort. The Perfect Woman won Best Short at Aspen Shorts Festival and was sold to Miramax. 
She wrote and directed the documentary Everybody Just Stay Calm for IFC, and she served as the executive producer for the flick Shay Upshaw and the Sarah Jessica Parker comedy film Life Without Dick. No comment. <laughs> she is co-producer of the upcoming web series The Skinny, and Ileana has a recurring role on the hit NBC show Welcome to Sweden, produced by Amy Poehler, now in its second season. She's a regular host and interviewer now on Turner Classic Movies, and her first book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, A Life Inside and Outside Movies, will be out later this year. Please welcome my guest today, the wonderful, the magnificent Ileana Douglas. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm imagining us living together. <laughs> Thinking what that was, I was like, what would I cook him for dinner? Would I, would I be his muse? <laughs> I've been so many muses in my life. You have, How many muses have you been? Oh my God! We don't have. That's a different. That'd be a different. My next book will be the. Uh, I've been amused too many, too many, many directors, and I just find myself as the, we're going to talk about in the book. I have just found myself always just behind the scenes at the right place at the right time, being the confidant of a director, writer, producer, actress. Sometimes I've just through no just sitting there i don't know i just end up being in the mix of things and uh, how many men have you been the opposite to where they have been the muse to me yes oh yeah many many i mean but i'm like i fall in love at the drop of a hat i'm like you know somebody's nice to me i'm like i think i'm in love with you <laughs> is, is that that's the story of my that, whole life is i think needy? Am I, does it make me needy cuz i love you right now no i do the same thing i'm projecting i before i even work with someone i'm all, i'm like they're probably going to you know we'll probably get married or we'll be on a show together i mean i'm always imagining things that that are don't happen sometimes they do happen though but you know most of the time they don't but don't you have the ability to make everything happen that you want to make happen? I think so. In so in some ways, yes. If you don't get too uh, too delusional, <laughs> you have to know when to when to stop. But yes, I do feel as if you can make. I've made everything happen uh, that I want to happen. I think. I mean, obviously, there's a hundred more things that I that are on my bucket list. But so far. I can look back and, you know, when my head hits the pillow at night, I, I, which to me is the greatest, that's nirvana, is that, you know, I have not reached my full potential, but I could fall asleep and say that I'm happy with what I've accomplished. And I think that that to me is the key to, to everything. Then you can have some real, you know, real growth. Now, you said to me one time mm -hmm. that really struck me. Because you talk about fate. Yes. You told me that you and Allison Janney started around the same time. We're very close. Yes. And there were roles that were being decided and people were choosing whether she should go on or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she went on a little show called The West Wing, I believe. Oh, no. This this is better than that. Oh, no, no, no. I was in... I had done this uh, movie, uh, Grace of My Heart, and... And then I was, I had done this, which I talk about in this crazy chapter because you never know what's going to make you successful. But I had done this mini series that did really well and got a big TV deal with CBS and went out to LA and I had a house with a hot tub. And Allison Janney, who'd been a couple years ahead of me, she was really good friends with my roommate at, at the time, who's now become a very successful writer named Stephen Rogers. But we were all in the same circle. But I was like, I'd made it. I was like out in Hollywood. She was like the struggling actress who comes out to test for things. And I had a big TV deal. So she's coming, she comes out to my house. We're in like this little, you know, hot tub. And she was uh, going to be auditioned for West Wing and I was going to be in action so I was like I don't know about West Wing you know Aaron Sorkin A Few Good Men I mean I don't even think it had been made a movie it was still like a play but I was in action and I was like oh I mean you know clear dust off my shelf for all the Emmys I'm going to win this, this show is I mean I really thought that action was going to be 
you know, here for 10 years. So did the press. I mean, yes. I'd, I'd never seen any show get more press in my entire life. It we was insane. Not, we did not get any more press. And so, like, it was, it was, it was interesting. So, you know, then that was West Wing and then Action was canceled you know, 13 shows in, and I was absolutely shocked because we, there were so many things that we innovated. It was the first time a film, and I'm going to be general here because, yes, maybe there's exceptions, but to my recollection, it was one of the first times, if not the first time, that a film director, Ted Demi, did a pilot, did a TV pilot. The late Ted Demi. Yeah, that was unheard of. A movie star like Keanu Reeves, being on our television show, unheard of. Single camera comedy, unheard of. Swearing, unheard of. The in, in, you know innovation, which now everybody does, of, of bleeping. And back then at Fox, the head of Standards and Practices, uh -huh. there was so much swearing in the first scene where I don't want to spoil it for you if you were going to buy it or haven't seen it, but I, I guess I have to. Jay pulls into a lot and he knocks over a parking stanchion that says employee of the month. And he starts walking in on his phone in his Armani suit and a uh, chef runs after him and says, Hey, uh, 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 Mr. Dragon, that's, that's my, uh, that's my parking space. Mm. I'm the, I'm, I'm the employee of the month. And Jay goes on like a one minute rant saying that I've made a billion dollars for this company. Okay. I don't give a f who you are or what you're doing but at this moment you might be the employee of the f month but i am the employee of the f century and what they had to do because there were so many f**ks ted demi did this innovative thing as a director and Ileana, you've directed many things where he did a circular shot so it kept rotating around yeah. jay and every time he'd swear it would be behind his head and then back so they could bleep it like that but there were still were points where he had to swear and they would fuzz out his mouth yeah. because back then you weren't allowed to have it full on like that. Right. Then we were all flown on a first premiere for a television show ever. Unheard of. A television show? They had a movie premiere? You know, flown to New York, uh, cover shoots for TV Guide. You know, it was, and as I write in that thing, it was like, you know, uh, breaks the rules, like, you know, breaking a, like a chicken, like a cook breaks eggs. I mean, you know, every like great pull quote and then it's gone. You know? And what was weird about the show Action, for those of you who don't know, is that people didn't come to the first episode. I think eight million people came to watch the first episode with all that promotion, all the great commercials, all the great press all over the place. And only 8 million people came. Now, I know today if 8 million came, people would be doing handstands down mm -hmm. the... But it was a different time. Mm -hmm. To this day, I don't think anyone understands why no one even... Normally what people, they come in droves, they sample it, and if they hate it, they don't come again, and then mm -hmm. it's canceled. But this one, they just never came. And so for the whole series, the, the ratings didn't necessarily vary that much. It's just that it was like 8 million, 7 million, 6, you know, 8 again, whatever. It would just mm -hmm. stay the same, and it wasn't moving upwards, and that's why we got our head handed to us, and I don't know well, why that was. I mean, again, that's the mystery uh, uh, that all of us that were a part of it is that you see shows today that were obvi that obviously were doing much worse and that they're given a chance and they have a loyal following. I mean, I've never been part of a show. It's, you know, it's 20 years later. People are like, why did action get canceled? You know, and, uh, you know, so that's uh, staying power. And I just finished working with uh, George Lopez. I'm doing his pilot, Are You George Lopez? Oh, it's for TV Land. Fantastic. Extremely talented. Man. Very, very talented. I always found George to be that kind of guy that, as a stand-up, that, that was incredible. Like when you would first see George Lopez perform, he'd walk into a comedy club. And there are very few comedians like this where they walk on stage and within 30 seconds, the crowd is going crazy, applauding, standing, high-fiving. And this is no disrespect to George Lopez I don't even believe that he understands <laughs> what the f 
is happening. He has a command over his audience in a dramatic way, like Hitler had a command over the Third Reich. I mean, it's yes. like unbelievable. And there's very few comedians who have that and, and that, that power. Mm-hmm. And he's one of them. And he happens to be a great actor. Uh, and and a really, really powerful force. You Mm -hmm. sit next to George Lopez, and it's like you are either in his world or you don't exist. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's a it's a really great thing. But you're the kind of person whose energy, I'm sure, went toe-to-toe with oh, his. I loved working with him. It remi- reminded me a little bit again. Like, I've worked, it's been weird. I've worked with a lot of comedians. I mean, and worked with Adam Carolla and his movie and Jay. and Road Hard. Uh, oh, my Carolla's God, movie. yeah. Drew Carey I mean you know on and on and on and so it's I love working with comedians I'm fascinated by them and 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 you know I felt like we were the world's most unlikely I play as publicist in the in the show the world's most unlikely showbiz couple and I just lose love at first sight so talented and really enjoyed working on the show and we shall see what happens with it this is what's amazing about uh, George is that and if you have a show where you're the first guy on the call sheet mm-hmm. and it fails and you can get another show on the <laughs> air the next year where you have the first name on the call sheet. Uh-huh. That's like, that never happens. Ask Louis CK. Yes. Okay. Lucky Louis name on the show. First on the call sheet five years until the next show. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It's very difficult, but George, that shows you the power that he has. Yes. He's got a great, great fan base, great audience. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. So, Ileana, what I like to do is I like to go way, way back. Okay, let's go back. Let's do it. Now, before I go way, way back, I want to make sure. Yeah. I want to hear how you pronounce your first name. Uh, Ileana. See, there you go. Ileana. You got the ah in there, which means classy. (laughs) Take us way back to where you grew up, your family life, what it was like, what kind of socioeconomical dynamic, your family the whole deal, and then what was your first inspiration to wanting to be in show business? Well, my um, the name of my book is called I Blame Dennis Hopper and because my parents saw the movie Easy Rider and made a life decision to uh, raise us as dirty hippies. I say that lovingly because it all turned out all right. But um, Wait, but, and so how were you being raised up to the point they saw that movie, and how old were you when they made the decision Well, I change? was very young. So, again, I but basically, you know, my knowledge is, you know, we were, I would say that we were upper, probably upper middle class. We, you know, moved to a sort of a wealthy upscale community in in uh, Connecticut and um and my mom didn't work she was a housewife and had you know was in the garden club and all these kind of preppy things and then as, as I write about in the book I didn't really understand what was happening because I was very young but it was like you know slowly and surely there was like less and less food less and less people uh and then my there my father started a commune on our property not like a cult commune but like with you know hippies and free love and all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of people like living with us 
a band, you know, that kind of thing. So it was like, at first it all seemed very fun and uh, groovy and everything. But as I, as I grew up, I realized that the lifestyle, in order to have that hippie lifestyle, that's where all the kind of the money went because none of the hippies worked. And so eventually, you know, my mom got a teaching job to sort of support us. And then eventually the Lord knows a lot of teaching jobs can support a house in Connecticut in an upper middle class neighborhood. Well, that's, we had a lot of help also from my grandparents, but the, uh, but so I, my first introduction, you know, was just being like a, a hippie kid. And then as I, as I got older, I made, you know, I started getting, uh, you know, sent to stay with my grandparents. My Italian grandparents were very blue collar Italian immigrants, you know. So your parents were originally from Italy. My mom's parents. And your dad's? My dad, well, my my father's uh, dad was Melvin Douglas, the actor Melvin Douglas. And uh, so he was also, you know, movie star, kind of grew up in California, grew up a movie star's existence. And then maybe, uh, and this is my opinion, I can't speak for him, but, you know, kind of went against that by, you know, going, maybe being, going more into the hippie lifestyle. And, but so when we would go visit them, you know, nice apartment on the Upper West Side and, maids and servants and and then that combined with visiting my italian grandparents who you know always there was like two channels in their house channel five and channel 11 like that was it you know they was like so i thought i thought tv was like Groucho Marx and the untouchables <laughs> and uh you know like i wild wild west like i i lived in black and white i thought that so that was my idea of what you know, glamorous show business was like. And again, there was also, there was always like plenty of money and food. And then, so when I would go, this, that life juxtaposed with going home with the hippie environment where there wasn't a lot of food and also the stifling environment of Connecticut, uh, I think is, you know, made me lean towards wanting to be, wanting to be in show business, wanting to be like my grandfather you know, and they were encouraging me. Uh, I, I think they thought I was funny and entertaining, you know, which was something that in my own family, nobody nobody ever thought I was, like, funny or interesting. So what's your first entrance into the world? It was basically, it, it it's, I was, um, I saw, I always, my real entrance into show business was part of a program. I saw I saw an article in the newspaper. It was like a, day, a week old newspaper that was uh, for something called the Hartford Stage Company Youth Theater. And you had to be, it was supposed to be for poor black kids in the inner city. And I say that, and it was funny because we were writing in the book and they were like, you can't say inner city anymore. I was like, well, that's what it says in the article. <laughs> we have the actual, can we just show the art? I'm trying, I'm not being. You know, it's like we're so PC. I'm like, it was called the inner city. Is that okay? Like they, it was like they lived in the projects. Like that's what they call. It. It's in the article. So I saw this thing, and they were doing musicals, and it's. I was like, I've got to be in this program. I somehow need to be in this program. And so basically, I just lied. I found somebody, a family that lived in the inner city in Hartford, and I just pretended that that was my address and had the application sent there and sent back from there and auditioned for, uh, you know, for this uh, theater company. Now, you'd never auditioned for anything before. No. Okay, so in your audition, did it involve singing, dancing, and acting? It did. It was one of the most, I write about it in my book, because to this day, it just must have been one of those moments where time stood still and said, you know what, just let her have it the uh no because i had it's so pathetic i knew so little about show business that i had learned i was obsessed with liza minnelli and i wanted to be like liza minnelli and i had learned this completely inappropriate i had two movies that i was obsessed with new york i was watching new york new york and cabaret over and over again and i was debating between whether i would do a song both completely inappropriate you know for a 15 year old either the man i love or maybe this time but i decided on maybe this time 
because I figured that would, you know, get me in this company. So I learned it off of the record. They said, please bring sheet music, which I did. And I get there. I, I barely make it through the dance. Everyone is so much better than me. And a miracle, one of the dancers, one of the black dancers just took pity on me. I have no idea why, like to this day, a wonderful guy named Marcus just literally took me aside and taught me the dance. There is no reason for this, except that it makes like a really good story. And it's true. Because I would have been out like that was it. Dancing was first. He took me aside. He taught me the dance. I made it through the first round. The second round was the was the singing. So then I go in, I go to sing my song, maybe this time. I start to sing, the guy, the piano player is, and I, and I don't know this, but apparently the, the, the sheet music is in a different key than what I learned on the record. So I've learned it in a completely different key, and the piano player's looking at me, and he's like, bum, 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 bum. You know, looking at it, I'm like, what are you, why are you screwing me up? I'm trying to sing here. And I keep trying to sing. And he finally stops. And there was like, again, this long table, 10 people. I am like bombing. It is like. It's a, like the table in flash dance. Totally. It is like do or die moment. The guy says, you're singing in the wrong key. And I snap back. I'm singing in the right key. The key of Liza you're in the wrong key and <laughs> the whole table just like laughed but and then i was like okay got through that i was laughing laughing and it was like and i saw the director this guy clay, clay stevenson may rest in peace he he was like all right the kid's got she's got moxie she's got moxie but they were like what are we going to do now second miracle of the story I do not know what they saw in me because I was like on the outside, I was brazen, but on the inside, I was like, this is, this is over. And like any minute, this is going to be over. And the one musical director said, he told the piano guy to get up and he, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll sing with you. And then he said, just start singing. And I started to sing. And then he said, you're in C. I'm going to play this in C. And he played the song again, and it was like the stress and the emotion, and I got to be in the song. And I was like a 15-year-old, like doing my best, like, it's got to happen. By the end of the song, it was like the whole table was like literally on their feet. It was like a moment of just going from utter failure, this is over, moxie, she pulled herself up by her bootstraps. She got it through. And it was like, I, you know, it was like being shot out of a cannon. I got out of the audition and this wonderful guy, Marcus, he got, I was just like, ah, ah, I, ah. like, I don't even know what happened in there. And he was so, it's like his face just smiling and he's like, you're going to be in the company. And I was in the company. It was only like five white people. Only about five of us made it in the company. Did he make it in? He made it in. He was like, he was like one of the best. We be, we be just became like joined at the hip. We were like, and I write about this in my book because he was the best dancer in the company, you know, unbelievable. And we, we, we had to... You know, we were there five days a week. We got paid. We worked in all aspects of the theater. And I think it, it was the second year of the program. He was like, literally, he came in 10 minutes late and the choreographer looked at him and he said, you're fired. Go get your stuff. You're done. And it was like, we just all like stopped. And he goes, no, I'm serious. Turn around. You're done. Just for one late. One time being late. And was it, that a rule that they told everybody? Yeah, they they took things seriously. I mean, there was another time. It may have been the first year, second year, something like that. I remember there was a. Uh, I know it now. I know that step now, man. But there was a choreography step, and just for some reason, I was like, I I just I couldn't get it, and it was it was also happened to be my birthday, and and the guy was like, he sent everyone away for lunch. He's like, again, again. Again, I was like doing this step, you know, like uh, throughout the entire lunch period. 
And in my head, I was like, it's my birthday. Why are you being so mean to me? And I was just like, you better get this step right or you're going to get fired. But, you know, everything I learned about, like, being professional and came from those days. And what I lucked out with that theater company is the there was a, the director of the theater at the time was a guy named Mark Lamos. Now, was, can I just interject for a second? Because yeah. the, the lesson that you played here and you talked about is so important and i think our audience it's important for them to know this sometimes if you are somebody out there who's incredibly talented mm-hmm. in whatever profession you're in yep there's a sense of entitlement there's a sense like you're teflon you no matter what happens no one will ever take you out and the example that you mentioned for this company of that guy who was clearly the best guy in the company is the same example that I remember one time when I was at Saturday Night Live and watching these shows and watching Norm MacDonald just completely every weekend update just take over the show or do Burt Reynolds and just Mm -hmm. explode and he became like the star of the show. And I remember I went on vacation and I came back to Saturday Night Live the next week after vacation and Colin Quinn was in his chair and Norm MacDonald was nowhere to be found. And Lauren Michaels was strong enough and smart enough to know that there was no one person that was greater than the group of people. And maybe in his mind, he felt that Norm had a sense of entitlement about him the way he walked through the hallways Mm -hmm. that maybe others didn't have. And I don't know if that was the case of this guy, but the fact is, is that if you're out there, know in any job you have, never show up late, always show up early and always stay later. Yeah, no, they were, you know, when we were kids, remember, we weren't even grownups. We were like, you know, 15. It's like, you're done. Get your stuff. You're done. Get out. Um, and they treated us, you know, they treated us like like grownups. And we worked really hard. We, we worked in all capacities of behind the scenes. And they put us, and we also went on tour, which was crazy. And you were about to talk about the director. Uh, whose name was, again, I, I mean, you know, we were terrified of him. His name was Clay, and he's passed on, but his name was Clay Stevenson. And again, the, the company was like 90% African-American. Everybody was African-American, um, you know, or Hispanic. And there were only about, you know, five white people in the company i was lucky enough to be in the company and all the you know all the musicals were was you know interracial and they would so we became like kind of a little pr thing but where's the company what you're you're putting up these plays where are you performing them where are you living during this time when you're 15 oh i went to no i i had to go to hartford i went in no i know like how do you you weren't living in hartford though i know i i i did i went to it's all it's like a blackout i went and i found an apartment in the paper i mean your um, parents were okay with you leaving the house and living in an apartment when you were 15 yes Apparently they were. How did you afford the apartment when your parents were dirty hippies? I, I had the money, I, you know, on my own. I was, like, very industrious. I got, a, like, a, a job at this place called... Well, first of all, we got paid to be in the Harvard No, Stage I know. But you, you don't get paid in advance to get a first, last, and security of, a, of an apartment. Well, I think in those days, maybe possibly the two brothers I was living with, I don't want to say their names because I want to get sued, but, you know, they were... I lived in a room like next to the kitchen. It was like, you know, but I was in show business. I thought it was like, you know, I had no, you know, no concept that it was uh, horrendous and and scary. I was, you know. Now, when you're 15 and a girl in yep. a company with all these guys, with all this testosterone. And we were all the same age. And I was they, in are, it from till age 17. Now, are they all trying to sleep with the girls in the cast? I did have my own apartment, so I was considered to be like, you know, a prize <laughs> because nobody, everybody lived, everybody was like, what does this kid have a, she's got her own place. So like the kids would all, a lot of kids would congregate in my, and I didn't have an apartment. Remember these two guys on the apartment. I had a room off of the kitchen. So, and a, and a, you know, a little back. I have a room here off of the kitchen. So it's I had good. a fire escape and a room off the kitchen, but, uh, the kid, a lot of the kids would come over, uh, 
to my, you know, to my pad. Well, I was always considered to be like a, a grown up. I mean, again, like when I was 15, I always looked like I was, you know, 21. Did you I was end a good up, girl? I was. Uh, I so was, you were a good girl. You didn't sleep with any of the other cats. I was. I don't know. I was. A, I was a. I was. You know. I did not uh, play around. I was. Uh, but we were all. You know, because we were kids. I don't think. I mean, again, things are probably different these days. I think we were a little. You know, kind of naive. I was in between the Hartford Stage Company, and my grandfather was aware that I was doing all this theater. In between those gigs, I was getting other little jobs doing musical theater. And in those jobs, there was a lot of like, you know, there was a lot of grown ups. And there was so there was always like a lot of, you know, like groping. And and that's going back to the stand up, too. I mean, again, I was, you know, people were when I talk to young people these days and they're, you know, talking about people, you know, red flags and men doing inappropriate things and it was like you know in my day we just called that being an actress it's like <laughs> yes can you just put your hand over there thank you thank you um you know that was just like sort of a part of it i was like the part of being in show business was always always and i don't know if it was just me i assumed it was everybody but constantly having to deal with somebody like you know groping you or you know, I, it just was, ha I just, I thought that was actually part of being an adult. Am I wrong? So the first time that <laughs> it's just me. So the first, no, it might be just you and it might be just uh, as an adult. I, I thought every boss I ever had I jacked was, me up against the Coke machine and it was like, unless you put out, you're fired. That didn't happen to everybody? No. Uh, so what, what's, <laughs> Believe it. but what's the first time that happened and how did you handle it? Well, the first time it happened, dude, I was in school, you know, again, like that's what makes me laugh. I mean, but no one taught you how to handle it. So how did you handle it? I remember being in school and having a teacher. Oh, do you need to not ride home from school? Yes, I do. And then like, why are we driving in the woods? This is not good. This is not my house. You know, and then it was like, if you say anything, I'll, you know, I'll just say you're a liar. I was like, drive me home. I'm terrified. I mean, I was like, I just thought that was being a kid. In my day, we considered that navigating in the world of grownups. And I remember going home and saying, Mom, Mr. So-and-so. And she was like, oh, cut it out. Like, you, <laughs> nobody believed you. Because people get mad at me sometimes when I talk about that. You know, I think in these day and times, there's the same thing only in a different way because I think if you're a woman in this business and you want to be successful, I truly believe that you have to know how to navigate with men. Nothing's changed about men from when you were starting till now. Right. They still want to be powerful over girls that don't have that much power mm -hmm. and they still want to figure out how they can do it. If they don't want to sleep with the girls, they at least want to feel like they are viable and it could happen right and so as a woman you have to figure out how to navigate and 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 get them to feel like like i said before like walking away just saying i wonder what that would be like without having it and you know it's sort of like you figured out a way to navigate where you were like okay i don't care what you do just could you just get back away from me go home take your lotion do whatever you want think <laughs> about me all you want but it's not going to happen right here well as i said i would be you know in doing the musical theater i again i would find myself in you know you find yourself in as a scary positions you know where you're like like hmm. the black swan well, I think that it was, uh, you know, I, I just figured, like, again, it was just assumed that if you were an actress, you were you were easy or something. But it did seem to, I, it seemed to happen a lot to me, but I assumed, like I said, it happened to, to almost everybody. But did you talk to your other actresses and see if it happened to them? No, uh, no, me and another, there was like me, I remember me and a girl that were friends. We were like, we were always, we couldn't figure out like, why are we always, you know, say, and it would always come like, am I, I would think I was very naive or something. And we were like, we want you to come to this exclusive party. And then I was in a, I had gotten in a musical company and me and this friend, we were all, we were so excited because like none of the leads got, you know, we were in the chorus and we got invited to this exclusive party. We were like, we thought we were, because we were the shit, you know. And then we get to this party, and it turned into an orgy. And we were literally like 15 years old. We were 15 years old. 
at this party. Now, for those of us out there on the it's audience, the only orgy I've ever been to, don't understand how something quotation marks end quotation mark turns into an orgy. So, how does a regular okay. party? What's the first sign? That I gotta be very, shit's going down. Okay, I got to be very careful because they're going to slip and say names. We There's a guy in the company, older gentleman. He says we're having this when party. When you say older gentleman, you're 15. How old is he? <laughs> I would say he was in his 50s. God, so I'm an older gentleman maybe. He's okay, in his okay. 50s. And uh, he comes backstage. Great show. The show is uh, Gypsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was we were playing one of the Hollywood blondes, and he comes back and he says to my friend and I, "There's this party for one of the big uh, patrons of the theater, and that we're invited to this party. We we don't even drive like her sister. We're so excited, like because we have in our head that you know we're Liza Minnelli. Like this is going to lead to." A part on Broadway. Like, that's all we were thinking about. We weren't thinking like, oh, we're going to a guy's house in the woods. We were thinking like, patron of the arts, he'll probably sponsor me, you know. Do you realize the woods has a lot to do with your life? Yes, as as depicted on the Larry Sanders show. Because I grew up in the, it was like, that's. It was always like, because there were no The hotels. woods and sexual assault is like similar to uh, murder and dental records. Well, there are no, I, that's what my joke on uh, when I did Larry Sanders, I said, do you know that I actually grew up in a place called Beaver Meadow? It was, <laughs> I said it was actually called, like literally people went to Beaver Meadow to make out. Like that was a make out place. I was like, have some beer and then we'll go to Beaver Meadow. <laughs> her her friend, the, our friend, uh Incidentally, you know, it's funny. This, this story was deemed too inappropriate to keep in my book. They were like, people are going to think this is child abuse. I was like, we called it being an actress. It was like, it was it was being an actress. Anyway, we, uh, her friend drops me off at this big mansion, you know, and there are all these grownups there and we're the only two kids there and we think it's pretty great. And then I see... And totally true story, the, uh, somebody rolls up a $100 bill and they start doing cocaine. The only reason I knew what cocaine was was because my grandparents had given me a subscription to New York Magazine. And I remember like an article like, that's what they do. They roll up a $100 bill and they snort this stuff and it's cocaine. I mean, I don't even, I had no idea like what you did or what the effect of it was but I saw all these grown-ups they were doing cocaine and there's lots of drinking and everything and then the next thing is the guy says there's going to be a movie and again this is so old school like literally like like a movie like a projector the screen comes down and they show a porno like a porno movie and at that point my friend and I were like okay this is this is really bad. So during the film, one of the, uh, one of the you don't do you have a ride home? How do you know? No, we're like free. There are no cell phones. You know, again, <laughs> remember, there's no help. SOS nine one one. We're like two kids going like, all right, our our lives are over. We're gonna be raped. Like we won't tell anyone. You know, and uh, so this woman in front of us, sitting during the movie while the movie is on gets up and then she says something to the effect of like well i don't need a movie and takes her shirt off and takes her bra off and then other people start taking their shirts off and at that point my friend and i are like we we got to get out of here and we start to try to find maybe some place to hide the owner of the house the big patron Kind of comes and finds us, and he says, hey, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> Which I thought was like, well, sir, I felt that the plot was a little, <laughs> you know, we were like cartoon characters. <laughs> like, So we, we literally ran from the house crying tears, like, and literally waited for her sister to come pick us up which she eventually did. We get in the car, we're crying. We're like, oh, they're hanging over. Why'd you get there? Uh, take all their clothes? Uh, you know, of course the girl's like, what are you two idiots? No, <laughs> so we stay in the car. She goes in the house. And again, this is like my recollection. She comes out of that house stone-faced. 
She goes, let's just get out of here. Like she wouldn't <laughs> even tell us. We were like, what's happening? She goes, you don't want to know. <laughs> and we drive, and that is my one and only time going to an orgy. I was once many years later when I was the, my first time in Hollywood, a p- famous producer came up to me and invited me to Jack's house. I was like, I think I know what that means. I think that means cocaine and like the orgy. <laughs> like so I was like, I don't think so. Luckily I had a boyfriend at the time too. There's only one Jack. Well, a, a bunch of us are going to be partying later at Jack's house. Don't I you think love was that. The... How many possible names can there be in show business where you know exactly who it is? It's like, well, no, it's We're as going if to was... Denzel's house. I think I know who that is. It's as if like they like a telegram came in, like <laughs> do 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 fresh meat coming in. <laughs> Never been to Hollywood before. You know, a bunch of us are gonna be partying later at Jack's house. And I was I remember like secretly being thrilled, like, wow, <laughs> I'm good enough looking to somebody would want to ply me with drugs and then, you know, it's not good. Did not you good. always feel like when you got out of the shower? I'm going to f*** people up today. No, I, you know, listen, I'm, I had the opposite, you know, like people would have low self-esteem and not think they were attractive. I had the delusion that I was really good looking and really sexy and, but nobody else thought so. So I was always shocked. Like I was like, what is, look at me. I look great. But you are beautiful. And it's in that way, like when, you know, Barbara Streisand (laughs) did Funny Girl, I mean, beautiful but i mean there there i guess there are a lot of people or some people that would think i'm not attracted to barbara streisand i i have found that like what what men seem to have with me and i'm gonna put myself down a little bit it's like i find myself attracted to you and it repulses me but like that's their that's their opening line well no but like that's why i feel that they feel like Like they can't figure it out. Like why? This is the thing. You've been you've never... been in you've been in long term <laughs> relationships. Yes, that's true. You don't One. stay in a long term <laughs> relationship with a genius who yes. we're going to talk about later. Yes. Unless you are satisfying them, it doesn't happen. Okay. So obviously, clearly, you're 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 doing something right. So what's your next thing in show business that happens? Oh, so well, what was great about that was I then I was re- truly delusional, like that being in that company. Then I went to New York and got into an acting school, and was a complete and utter failure. Everything I did at that school. Uh, Nobody liked what I did. I got I got more nay. I was bombarded. What school was that? It was. Um, do I have to say? No. I feel bad. No. I don't want to say. We'll cut that part out. Don't worry about it. But it was. I went to this. You know, it's on the internet or whatever. And I met <laughs> I met interesting people there. But no, I was not. Um, I just. So you're failing as an actress, even though you were going into the company. I'm sorry, you were going into the acting school or class with hundreds of hours of, yes. of, of of practice, hundreds of hours on stage, yet you went into New York and the biggest area in the world and were failing with those group of people. Is yes, it because they I were couldn't. so much better than you? No. I mean, again, this was my own delusion. I'm like, how do they not see the genius? Like, how do they not see it? Like, I'm incredible. And what was weird was that they kept picking me to be in senior productions for small parts. So I was like, this was so jarring because they would trust me with like a little small part. Yet when I was in when I when I was in like scene study class, it was like, no, oh, sorry, Liana, can you sit down? That was awful. You know, uh, I mean, one of the my there were so many negative things to me. My my favorite one, which I said in the book, Liana, some people are sexy. You try to be sexy. <laughs> it was like another. I was like, I don't know what that means, but like, could up you could up your head uh and they were upset another teacher was obsessed with my voice some of them my voice was so horrible i was going to end up selling refrigerators the first job i ever got was because of my voice so that teacher literally made me practice i had to speak in a different register so i actually had a a vague British accent (laughs) like when I was at this school I decided that I would emulate Audrey Hepburn after you started uh, doing well did you go back and say 
I deserve an apology. I think that person sadly passed away too. A lot of luckily for a lot of these people have died. The woods and death yes. are the theme of this permeates, podcast. Permeates. But then the next school that I went to, which was the neighborhood playhouse, I just I mean, again, this is part of my delusion. I go to an acting school, right? They tell me you're horrible. <laughs> like <laughs> they actually said you're horrible. No, but they at the at the first, at the end of the first year, there was another actor I was in school with who's now on the show Mike and Molly. I hope I may say his name because I thought he was wonderful, named Lou Mastillo. And he and I, we used to just, we had this very interesting quality where we would literally walk on stage and everybody would laugh. Like we didn't, nobody, we hadn't even done anything yet. It was almost disconcerting. It was like I would just step in the, and people would, the teacher would go, quiet. And I was like, Okay, this is crazy. Like, so the audience has always really liked us, but the teachers didn't seem to like us. And at the end of the first year, the head of the school, uh, I had done these, what I, you know, these final, these scenes, which is so funny, your final scenes with which you will be judged by. And I did my scene and the audience, people were like hooting and how I was, I mean, it was crazy. I was like, I had the you know, I was like 18. I was like, I killed. I came off stage and the head of the school, like, I was like, finally, finally, she will say she, you know, how great I am. And she took my hand and she said, goodbye, Ileana. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that did not, that did not sound good at all. And about three weeks later, I got a letter saying we, we were, we are not asking you back. And, uh, I was working in a hotel. Wait, Time out. Yes. Okay. How do you have the performance of the night mm-hmm. are in the hot seat as far as the number one person getting the most attention? Mm-hmm. You do not show up late. How do you get fired? Why do you get fired? Uh, you tell me. I mean, and what well, didn't you ask? I, I, if you want my honest opinion, I was 18 years old. I, I believe that that person was trying to kill my spirit and but why would she kill your spirit because there's a because there's a you know we want to control people and put them in a box i know the kind of people who want to break people's spirit but Uh they want to break people's spirit while they're still in control of them and around them why would she break your spirit knowing that she just let you go and she wouldn't have the opportunity to keep breaking your spirit? Because I, I, I mean, that's why unless, because I can't even, my head, I, I'm, I know that I was not bad that day. I saw the audience reaction. You know, I had come from this background of musical theater. I had had, and I talk about this in my book, it sounds like insane, but literally the day of, because this is why it was like the whole book is about these crazy circumstances. One of the first movies I ever remember seeing was Paint Your Wagon, and I developed a bizarre obsession for Lee Marvin. He just, he was like my guardian. I was like, if Lee Marvin's on television, it's going to be a good day. I'm walking to school. And I see Lee, it was like, this is not, it's like the guy helping me with the dance. I'm like, there is Lee Marvin. Like on the street, Lee Marvin walking, there was no reason for him to be on Madison Avenue that day. I step in front of him. No, this is incredible. I'm an actress. You're in the first movie I ever saw. And I start going on and on about him. And he looked like he was hung over and he puts his hand up. Stop, please. And he said to me, young lady, if you have half as much energy on stage as you do in real life, you ought to do just fine. And he was right. And I was like, thank you, Lee Marvin. You know, and then I so I went I I was on cloud nine. I was like, who cares what she thinks? Lee Marvin thinks I'm like, you know, he he got it. And I'm not kidding about that. Like, it took me 20 years to realize that's why I wrote a book about it. He got that. He got something from me that she didn't get. And I understand I can be a very polarizing figure. I now accept that. But I, for some reason, this person didn't like me. And this school was, I wasn't right for this school. Why do you think you're a polarizing figure? Because I'll give you, let me I give you a sports analogy. Oftentimes, the flashiest, you know, snowboarder, ice skater, 
they they're the people that come in second. The person that that does the boring, flawless dive oftentimes wins. And I'm at home going, what, are you crazy? The other guy did three things. He should win. But I feel as if I'm the person who does the more flashy, risky thing, but that not everybody can agree on. And I think that in a the society, we want to be sure we want to we want to we want to have 20 people agree on the same thing and so therefore you can have people that are wildly your fans and then other people that just maybe can't stand you they don't like your voice they don't like your look they don't you know and i and i feel as if that's what was happening there i did have fans there but then i also had people that just didn't they were like that woman she didn't like me. I mean, she, she you know, I'll, when she said goodbye, Ileana, that meant goodbye. That meant I never have to see your face again. It was like, you know, I and I and I I took it as a like a badge of honor that I was going to prove her, you know, that I was going to prove her wrong. And as I said, I went to the next school. <laughs> I went to the next. I was like, well. Okay, I bombed out of that school, but I, so I went to a whole new school, and I started all over again, and that went a little bit well, better that, for me. Well, that's the thing about this world is, is like, even personally and not professionally, if you're in a town and everybody's bullying you, right, you get to move to another town and just start over again. Well, people forget that, you know. Sometimes, like you know, when. You know, when you're young and somebody says, you know, you're a terrible actor or you're awful, you should, you know, oftentimes, sometimes people, uh, you know, believe that. And if I believe the things that people said about me, I would have never, you know, I would have never continued. One of my favorite things that Byron Allen said when he did the podcast, he said, you know, I do my television shows and a lot of people make fun of me because they get a one rating. And for those of you who don't know, a one rating basically means that 99 out of 100 people don't like you and don't want to watch you and don't <laughs> care about your shows. And they paused and he said, and I'm a millionaire. Wow. Because there's 7 billion people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'll take my 1% mm -hmm. and be very, very happy. You have to do your own, you know, you have to do your own thing. You have to. So tell me how yes. you started getting into the film world. Um, well, I, again, I was, uh, so at this, around this time I was doing, um, I wanted to be an actor and I was doing stand up again. Cause I just, I needed to pay the rent. I needed to do something to make some money. Tell me some of the standups you worked with that you thought were going to be big. Uh, I did. Who... I didn't work with anyone. I mean, literally I did this for a minute and a half. Was there anyone who you saw at the club? Yes. That you were I like... saw Jay Moore and Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I saw Rosie well, I was O'Donnell. <laughs> I saw Rosie O'Donnell. Wendy Liebman was starting. And the person I was put on the bill with the most, <laughs> I was so pathetic, was Judy Gold. I would get it, I was getting bill. There was at the time they would make a bill of all women. It was like women in comedy was such a new thing. Judy Gold, for those of you who don't know, look her up. One of the funniest, brash, incredible personalities. Six foot two. Yeah. God, no one went toe to toe with me more than Judy Gold. She was so funny. Well, imagine me, like, a, you know, being at one of these places and you follow, you know, Rosie O'Donnell and Judy Gold and they're like, and now Ileana Douglas. <laughs> like, you know, I was a hippie and, uh, you know, and, but the thing is, people like, you know, the, the people that were working with me really liked my comedy. But what this, was your best joke? I don't know if I had, you know, when you say best joke, it was my whole persona of telling, you know, telling stories. I'd say, "Oh, here we are. It's it's autumn in New York. It's so great." You can always tell when it's autumn in New York because the bums begin to turn yellow and fall. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so it's sweet. And I was, you know, and that's what I was, you know, I'm like I, you know, I'd be like a, talk about hippie humor. It's always embarrassing when you're. 
families, you know, your dad's got better pot than you do. Friends are like, can you, can you score something from your dad? No, I can't. So it was a lot of that. And we grew up poor and we didn't have any toys. And my mother used to say, you know, she just stepped up. My brothers beat me up and we'd call it Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but it wasn't the same. <laughs> so you had the point of view humor and it was good. It was- I, that's the thing. Like, I didn't know. Like, to me, it was like... I would stand in the living room with my roommate and I'd be like, I think I'm going to say this. And I'd be like, you know, you go to the Korean market and they're selling this thing. I said, you know, sea legs. Sea legs of what? What in the sea has legs? It's like, and then they have another thing called mermaid salad. It's like, yeah, she got caught in the net. It's really terrible killing mermaids. But, and my roommate would look at me and go, that is not funny. But I was like, really? I think it's funny. So, but I would just go up there or I'd you know that I. You now, who was worse, comedians trying to sleep with you or actors? Oh no, no comedians were wanted to sleep with me. Actors, yeah. I, I once had an actor, bless his heart, who tried so hard to sleep with me, and I would not let him in my hotel room. I finally said goodnight to him, and I'm lying in bed <laughs> with the lights out, <laughs> and the phone rings, and I pick up the phone. I go, yes. And he goes, I'm really hanging on to the bumper, aren't I? Can I just, I was like, no, you can't. But I like, that became my favorite phrase. I'm, I'm really, I'm hanging on to the bumper at this point. I was like, yeah, you will be remembered. You gave it a good, the college try. As a woman, do you appreciate the guy who's persistent like that? My persona, because I've been friends with a lot of like, you know, ladies, men like let's just you know womenizers or whatever and I'm, I'm always like i like to be the friend you know because that way you get you, you know you you're just the friend of the person and they contemplate like you know someday you and i'm like that's never gonna happen because <laughs> i <laughs> i see your i see your repertoire but it's good <laughs> but we'll be friends we'll flirt that's the better position What's the best line you ever heard, besides the bumper line, the best line you ever heard to try to get you to a point where you would go out with somebody or sleep with somebody that, like, I remember this guy Frank Santorelli had this line that he used to use in Boston that it was so horrifying, but it worked for him. He'd go up to a girl, he'd say, oh, finding you tonight was like finding a $20 bill on the ground. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> pathetic. You, that's good? No, it's horrible, but it used to work terrible. <laughs> the, uh, the best line that anybody ever said to me, and but it, was, it wasn't you know specifically a line, but we went out to dinner, and he asked me, what is it uh, you're looking for in a man? And I thought that that was the most profound thing that anybody ever said and the and the greatest uh womanizer i was ever with who in my uh i think was joseph l mankowitz uh who had a reputation with the ladies and he was uh he was like a you know a psychiatrist he could just tell you who you were and i found that to be very seductive and um and that's what he said. He said all women want to, you know, they want to be analyzed, psychoanalyzed. I, you know, I was, nobody ever asked me. I love that question. Years. I'm going to steal that if I can ever go out with a woman again. Well, I said, well, I, I'm going to tell you my answer and then you have to analyze my answer. Um, I said, because nobody had ever asked me this before. So the answer that came tumbling out was I said to be understood and I almost started crying when I said it because I didn't expect to be asked this question. And I answered it honestly. Um, and he nodded and he said, yeah, me too. That's what I want. That's what I would want. I want to be understood. And so I thought that that was, so what would you, you know, what is it you would most, what is it you're most looking for in a woman? Barry? For me, what I'm most looking for in a woman is somebody uh, who makes me feel like I want to make her feel, which is safe. Mm-hmm. Thing is, which is probably dysfunctional about me, is I want to know that my life is not a hindrance on their existence. There's nothing worse than feeling like a woman is going to say, 
you know, I gave up this, 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 and this to be with you. Mm -hmm. And you just keep going with your life the way it is. And I had to give up all this to be with you. That, Mm -hmm. that just would destroy me. I just want to know that they're, they're feeling good. They're Mm -hmm. feeling so hopefully some decade, the new chapter will begin. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.